everybody, I'm Dr. Deb, and welcome to another episode of PTSD and Beyond. Welcome to the PTSD and Beyond podcast, where we give you insights into post-traumatic stress, trauma recovery, healing, and beyond. I'm Dr. Deb Lind, and in each episode, I have a conversation with a guest who will stimulate your mind, touch your heart, and connect with your spirit, and also give you a greater understanding of yourself and others on this healing and recovery journey walked by so many of us before, wounded healers with lived experience and heroes. Hopefully, we'll also provide a glimpse into possibilities and purpose, hope, and inspiration. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. One last thing, guys, before we dive into today's episode, if you'd like an ad-free experience and like early access to new episodes and special events, I want to let you know you can join us at patreon.com. That is patreon.com forward slash PTSD and beyond. All right, let's do it. Hey, everybody, it's Dr. Deb here with PTSD and Beyond. Another week, and guess what? You're never going to believe it in a million years. I think that listeners know when I say that, that it means, okay, there's something super exciting coming up, or all right, what is going to happen? So sit down, grab your coffee. If you're driving the car, you know, drive safely, please. But we have a guest that's been on before and coming back because they're so wise and wonderful, as well as just compassionate in giving with their time and their wisdom. Um, again, this person has uh, shared with us, in addition to on Twitter, as well as the podcast, this was their idea of the topic we're going to be talking about today, which is how do you find a therapist? Like, what does that look like? So everybody, let's give a huge shout out again to Terry Wilton-Dale, author of An Incoming Tide, A Greater Good, retired therapist of 40 years. Welcome back to the show, Terry. Hey, thanks so much. I'm so glad to be here. We're going to have fun today. We always have fun. We start our, we start our conversations off and then we say, all right, you know, we got to start recording because this is all good stuff. Let me tell you a story. Can we start with a story? We can start with a story. And I'm going to set this one up, okay? So this took place about... Oh, 35 years ago, maybe a long time ago. And I was working for an agency as a mental health therapist. And every second Friday, about 10 of us would get together and we would have to review the assessments we had done on the new cases we had seen in the previous two weeks. And reviewing those assessments, um, you know, you went through all the different things that you found in terms of psychological symptoms and how they added up to a diagnosis and what your treatment plan was going to be. And we were really encouraged that we weren't to miss anything. We had to be very comprehensive. And so you put 10 of us in a room, well, we're going to be reviewing over the course of a day, 40 or 50 cases. And so you had to be pretty concise. And so it became a litany of just listing mental health symptoms, naming a diagnosis, naming a treatment plan, um, and doing that over and over and over again for about 40 different people. Can you imagine anything more mentally unhealthy? <laughs> but anyway, that's what we were doing. So there was one member of the team, his name was Greg, and I haven't changed his name for the purpose of this because I've so, so lost touch with him, but maybe he's listening, which would be awesome. Then we could reconnect. Greg would open his file and he would say, oh, Henry, Henry's an interesting guy. Henry works at the butcher that makes that really good Ukrainian sausage. And he told me what the secret ingredient was. You'll never guess, but it's all confidential. I can't tell you, but you should get his sausage. It's great. And then he went on to talk about what Henry was struggling with. And he opened another file and he'd say, oh, this is Peter. You're not going to believe this. But Peter is the uncle of Stephen, who I talked about, oh, two or three months ago. And we could never figure out what was going on with Stephen. But Peter grew up with Stephen's father. And he was telling me about what it was like growing up. And suddenly so much of what was happening with Stephen made sense to me. Now, of course, I can't tell it back and forth, but I can sure encourage them to talk to each other. I think they'll be a great help to each other. 
And then he'd open up another file. Oh, Eleanor, you're not going to believe this. But Eleanor is living on the farm next door to the farm that her great-grandfather was born onto. His father had broken the land coming from Poland. And every day when she drives to, to her job as an aide in the school, she passes over the very fields that her great-grandfather walked on as a child. Well, Greg would go on with these seemingly irrelevant details, but every person he talked to was fascinating. Now, if you can imagine the other therapists in the room, we're all sitting there saying, hey, get on with it, Greg, you know, like we're sitting here forever and ever. And then we got resentful that he got all the interesting cases. Mm. And we just got people that had sleep disturbance or tear crying spells or relationship problems. But Greg got all these fascinating people. Well, lo and behold, and I already see from the look on your face, I already see that you're putting this together. Lo and behold, Greg's caseload just ballooned. It was huge. And we kind of counted on people no longer coming to their appointments for people to get off our caseloads. But nobody wanted to stop seeing Greg. And so not only um, did he have all these interesting people, but he had this these longer-term relationships with them. Um, now, when I look back on it, we were all treating people as if they were objects, as if they were diagnoses with particular symptoms that we could identify and operationalize, whereas Greg was treating people as human beings. Mm -hmm. And now we never talked about how people left our caseloads. We always talked about how people got on our caseloads. And I suspect, as I said, most people got off caseloads because the, tr the therapy just was no longer working for them or it wasn't, uh, you know, as needed as it had been earlier on. Uh, not necessarily, you know, we would hope that they had made bids for greater health and sanity. But I suspect that when people did leave Greg, that they left them, Greg, as a more whole and healthy person right. uh, because of uh, the way Greg worked. And I want to start when we talk about getting a good therapy match. I want to start by saying that therapists are not like clear orange plastic bottles with white childproof caps on the top. We are not all the same. We don't give carefully titrated doses of the same uh, active ingredient. Um, that when people seek um, therapy help, mental health therapy help, that it becomes a very unique and individual relationship and it, uh, between them and the person providing the therapy. And um, many agencies will say something like, if you phone them up, you know, I'd like to see someone. And if you ask about who's there, they say, well, they'll say, well, all of our therapists are equally qualified. Or right. all of our therapists uh, have the right skill set to be able to help you. If an agency intake worker or manager says that to you, they're simply lying. They know very well that different therapists on the team do better with different things. Right. And um, if you get if you phone up for an appointment and the person says, "Hmm, let me take a look." The earliest we can get you in is Friday at two o'clock. Let's put you in there. Don't go for it. Yeah, the, not... the, the person who's actually doing the phone when you call up the case person, they're looking at availability within their organization. They're not looking to um, ask the person who's calling questions to see who would be the best fit and match for that person. The, their focus is to fill the slot and get, say, the new person uh, their caseload, you know, already full um, versus somebody who, again, would be a, a good fit. I like to use the analogy of haircutting a stylist. Mm -hmm. I have very short hair and not everybody can cut a pixie haircut, especially with thick, naturally wavy hair. 
But when you call a salon and say, hey, I've got naturally thick, you know, wavy hair and I've got a pixie who can do it. Oh, you'll get the same response, a similar response. All of our stylists are no. It is who's who has an interest in it, who's good at it, who knows their limitations on doing it, who knows techniques specifically for it. And um, I don't look at tenure specifically. And I want to ask you about tenure, meaning time in industry. We often think, so I'm going to make a switch here. So we often think that tenure equates to experience, but it doesn't because you can have, again, going back to the hair analogy, a person who's been cutting hair for say 25 years, but they are not skilled and talented at cutting a pixie haircut. Mm -hmm. Oh, I like your example much better than the one I was going to give. I was (laughs) going to say going to therapy is not like getting the oil changed in your car. But but you are much better because you could um, take that metaphor of the haircut and really. Uh, it's so true. And people people can relate to it because Absolutely. we've all had bad haircuts. We've all gone <laughs> in the biolage, the oh, yeah, we're going to get this, you know, uh, fade and everything. And it's like, what? Who did? Right. And OK, so why I said about 10 years, there's a guy who. Um, his first name's Duff. I think he's out of Philly, if I'm not mistaken. You know what? If you're listening out there and you're big, you know, foodie, I apologize on where Duff is at, right? And he's a, he's a baker and he uses like blow torches to, you know, to create these just incredible cakes and things. But he didn't have the tenure, okay? So when he first came out, you know, there was this backlash, which was really sad. On oh, you know, he's new, right? You get that phrase, oh, you're new, you're new. You know what? It didn't matter. The guy was uber skilled and creative and he would he would push the boundaries and he has created amazing cake sculptures where tenured chefs would say, no, you know, this is just, a, you know, whatever. Right. They would dismiss them and discount them. And I see that the same thing happens in um, the therapy world where we presume that because the person's been a therapist for 25 years or because they have the right credentials. And yes, that is a checkbox to go through. It doesn't always mean it's going to be the good fit because it's people, relationships, exactly what you're saying. It's a relationship and a relationship, people to people, building a relationship. It is not just, we've got a slot here at, you know, 440 on Thursday. Yeah. So, um, in terms of the question of tenure, and then I'm going to come with some practical suggestions on how to, to get a good fit. Um, people who have been in the business a long time <clears throat> can either have been lifelong learners who uh, keep learning uh, deeper and more, more uh, skills and working on uh, developing their craft, or they can be people that have grown stale and cynical. Um, we have in Canada uh, government agencies that provide outpatient mental health services, and it is darn hard to get fired from them. So you can get as old and stable as you can get, and still be there, and do uh, harm, which is one do, of the one of the, the Hippocratic oath, right? Which is do no yeah, harm. I'm not saying right. everybody does. No, no, and. and uh, when we're we're talking about this, if we can be wise consumers to know when the person I'm with is going to be healthy for me, right, or or not, um, then I think we can we can uh, weed out the ones that may not be. Now I've got a couple of really quick and easy suggestions to make here. If you're going to get together with another human being to talk about the things that are the most deeply vulnerable and personal that you have to bring forward. Think about the types of human beings in the past that have been good fits for you. And it might be as simple as saying, do I, do I talk better to a male or a female? Where I prefer to have someone my own age or older. If I think older, I'm never going to find anyone. <laughs> so I mean, when we're looking for a family doctor, we want someone younger than we are so that They'll, they'll still be around when we really need them. Um, think about sexual orientation. 
think about whether or not it's important for you to have someone that is of the same religious beliefs that you are. Yeah. Um, and if even if you phone up to one of these agencies that is just going to assign you, even if you say, you know, I think I'd talk better to a woman than a man, that might be able to be something that the intake worker could do. Right. Or, um, you know, I'm this particular age, I'd really like to have someone maybe 10 or 15 years older, if that's possible. And that little thing of thinking of doing some pre-thought um, can maybe help you slot into somebody that um, might be a better fit than the one that was just randomly assigned to you. Right. But I have something else to say, and I had never thought this through until you and I were going to talk. Think about the way that you learn and change and become good at things. So do you get better at things by developing skills? Are you the sort of person that goes to YouTube to see how to do something? If you're that sort of person, you might do better with the type of therapy that is skill development therapy. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to mention a couple of them to you. So um, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is often called CBT or dialectic behavior therapy, DBT, are very good at identifying some skills that will help, um, whether it is to be able to challenge patterns of thinking that lead to more intense negative emotions, or whether it's to, um, uh, to bring into better uh, uh, a, a more peaceful sense of neurological state through meditation. Um, and so if you're the type of person that you just need to show me what to do and then I can do it, you might be better off with those types of therapies. But you might not be that sort of person. You might be the sort of person who, when they face a challenge in life, goes to somebody else that they trust and they have confidence in and just talks it through until they get to the point where suddenly they can understand where they need to go in terms of sorting something out. And they need that sense of safety and that sense of connection and know that that other person cares about them. Um, and then once they get that shift in perspective, off they go. They go and they find their own way of doing it. Mm -hmm. If you're that sort of person, you probably want to get into a therapy that's more client-centered or humanistic in its approach. Um, or maybe even like, um, I don't know whether there's many people who practice a narrative therapy would also be a good fit in terms mm -hmm. of that as well. Now, maybe you're the sort of person who has a problem and you simply want someone to fix it for you. Right? And if you just simply want someone to fix it to you, well, maybe go to the doctor and get a, a clear orange vial with a white childproof cap that <laughs> you, you can just, you know, the, the doctor will figure out the right chemical that you need and off you go. But there are also some therapies that are really driven by the intervention that the uh, therapist does for the client. Um, now, I train both in EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy, and I also trained in clinical hypnotherapy. And both of those are protocols that are applied to an individual. Mm -hmm. And the sensitive therapist reads how the individual responds to it, um, but the, uh, they're, they're very driven by they're very specific techniques that, that are used. So if you're the sort of person that says, do it to me, you might be better off with, with one of those. So um, now the other thing that I'm gonna say here, and this is really tricky, because if you select a therapy that fits with your own natural way of sorting things out and solving them, and you want the therapist to do that, it might not be that that therapist is particularly good at that mm -hmm. because it might not be a fit for their personality. Right. And so if you go to a therapist who, and you want someone to just 
listen and reflect and help you to see things from a different perspective and support you and help you to believe in yourself so you can come up with your own creative solution, you're probably not going to do very well with somebody who's used to just developing skills in people. Right. Yeah. And that's where it becomes really tricky because not only do you need to know what, what would most likely work best for you, but you also need to find a person that does that well. Right. And, and there may be some trial and error in finding who that person might be. Um, now, I, I want to give a little illustration of this. And, w- and before we did this, this recording, um, I sent out a tweet about this topic. And I asked people to respond about what makes a good therapy match for them. And I got an absolutely delightful response. And I want to acknowledge, and I only know her by her Twitter handle, um, Countess of the Cotswolds. And she said that what would be a good match for her was someone who was had compassion, good listening skills, empathy, support, kindness, a holistic approach, an assessment of our home situation. Are we in danger? An assessment of our family needs. Do we need more support? collaboration and a willingness to engage with others, honesty and integrity. Isn't that absolutely delightful? I would love to be your therapist, but I'm retired. Um, It's a great list. And I appreciated her for putting all that out there because then other people saw it and were able to chime in and we've already generated a discussion on, and it shows that there's a need. It shows that people are already thinking about, yes, I would like to have a a good fit. I'd like to have these sure. things to, so to help me. Yeah. And, and her list really puts her in the category of someone that is going to be more, you know, do well with a client centered therapy, with a, a supportive, reflective, uh, respectful listening therapy. Now, if you end up with, you know, let's say you phone up to an agency and you get somebody. Um, and you know, you sit down and they ask you what your the problems are and all that sort of thing. You know, it wouldn't be a bad idea to say to that person, the type of person that I am, the way I usually change is. And I'm the sort of person who teach me what to do, and yeah. I will learn how to do it really well. And that would be a sign to that therapist. Oh, well, you know, let's let's try over here. If you said, you know, I'm the sort of person who just needs to sit down with someone and that person is able to listen and respect and eventually I find my own solutions to things, then that will be, a, will, will be um, a, a sign. Let's try this over here. Um, and so um, when we're looking for a good therapy match, uh, part of it is going to be that negotiation process. Now, um, I think we need to be a little bit careful. Oh, the other thing that I want to say, and I don't know what things are like where your listeners are listening, but here in Canada, um, we basically have about three different, three or four different routes that people get in, uh, into a therapist. Um, one is to go to an agency, which is call them up and they'll, they'll try to get you in to get your oil changed. No, I'm, I'm sorry. Here, got No, no. Uh, <laughs> another is that... Um, there's a, a collection of private practice individuals that all work for the same agency. And very often those webs, those agencies have websites and those websites have little bios of each of the people that are, that are working there. And it is really awesome to read through those bios. And I, I've known a lot of private practice psychologists. I supervise quite a few of them and they work really hard on those bios. And often those bios will give their what their values are. Um, they will maybe list the different types of therapies that they can do. And if they do that, um, as a consumer, do your homework. Go on to Giggle, Google and, well, you can go on Giggle too, but go on to Google and, you know, this person says they do, and they'll often just call it a Scrabble letter therapy, you know. ACT or EFT or right. CBT yep. or DBD or whatever. Um, look those things up 
and look up what their fundamental principles are, is that sort of thing a fit for you? Right. And um, so when you're looking through, if you're going to go to a private agency where you get to look at some information about the different therapists that are offered, that are, are available to you, and you might phone up and to say, you know, I've been looking over it and I really kind of like what um, Annette said about herself. I think I would work really well with Annette. Well, I'm sorry, Annette's got a waiting list right now. Well, you might be better off on the waiting list rather than going with someone that isn't isn't a good match to you. Right, correct. This really brings up a good point about um, peer support because when we provide uh, peer support, one of the things that we we um, do is help somebody become their own advocate. Hey, everybody, it's Dr. Deb. Thank you so much for being here today and listening to the PTSD and Beyond podcast. To learn more about our workshops, keynotes, as well as individual coaching, give us a shout out at drdeb at ptsdandbeyond.org. And education is one way. So mm-hmm. the, the, there's a few themes that I'm, I've picked out of our conversation that provides peer support and empowerment to a person who is needing the support. One is education mm-hmm. and meaning becoming educated, um, getting the information, looking for the information, going on the website, reviewing um, bios of providers as well as education of yourself, knowing who you are, going through mm-hmm. a little, it doesn't have to be intensive. It can be as something as simple as the awareness of how do I like to learn? How do I like to be talked to? What kind mm-hmm. of conversations resonate well with me? And, and then also at the same time, which ones don't? Um, yes. The treatment plan piece is something that was another conversation on Twitter not too long ago about people that felt that they don't have a treatment plan and that they were asking their provider and receiving pushback on, you know, an actual, what's the plan? Uh, So the first one is education. The second one is doing research. And then the third one is interviewing. So Mm -hmm. it's to ask the questions when you're calling up and before actually making that phone call, what I hear you saying, Terry, is to jot down a few questions as well as statements to be able to help the other person that you're talking with and the case manager, if you will, or even the person who's just answering the phone um, to direct and to guide and to say, well, you know what, actually, and, you know, our practice, this is what we have. And these are some people that um, I would suggest. I'm going to go back to the hair example. Um, I needed to find somebody that uh, I wanted just a, a new, fresh place And so, of course, you do your Googling, right? And uh, I found a place. And when I called there and I said, you know, again, that, you know, I have a very short, pixie, thick, wavy hair, um, want somebody who understands the harmony of modern with also a, a feminine edge, right? And immediately she said this one person and I thought, and I actually said this, do they have any images, a portfolio online that I can go look at and see? Oh, it's a great idea. And and the same can apply for, for somebody looking for a therapist. Here in the United States, there's a resource, and no, they're not compensating us or sponsoring us, but it's Psych Central. Also, the APA, American Psychological Association, has a list of providers where you can see their bios as well as their interests. So are there interests in practice? Are there interest in study? Is there interest in research? Things that resonate with you to say, hey, I'm going to raise my hand. Yes, that is exactly what I'm looking for. Maybe it's somebody who is a blend of um, skill-based or traditional um, therapy that they have an interest in, say, homeopathy or herbology, or or flower essence, or meditation, or yoga, or there's something else that makes you say that resonates really well with me, and I'm going to call that person. When you make the call, and I've done this myself, say to that person, I found you on Psych Central, 
or I found you on, you know, this thing, or I looked at your website and the things that resonate with me are this, this, and this, why it's important to share those points with the person who is on the other end is because they too, and I think we should do an episode on this. They too are trying to identify, are you a good fit for their practice? Absolutely. And I'm going to broaden that out in terms of interest. Like I'm a jazz musician and um, I'm a creative person. I write novels. I'm a jazz musician. I'm going to be a better fit for people who are not necessarily very traditional. It has to be done in a particular way sort of people. Yeah. Um, And so when you're looking at the bios, um, you know, and, and I may not, you know, if I happen to be a church choir director, that's entirely different than being a jazz musician. Um, you know, it, it, but it tells you something about the human being that I'm going to be with. And I want to come back to uh, when you see a, a therapist, you want to see a human being. You don't want to see a person with psychological theories and a whole bunch of techniques. If you're taking the most intimate, vulnerable parts of who you are, you're going to want to have that um, that type of connection. And now that I say that, I'm really, I need to come back and say, maybe you're not the sort of person at all that wants a human being. Maybe you just want someone to lay out for you what to do. And of course, that's that self-knowledge. I right. was thinking when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, you know, it's too bad we don't have e-harmony for therapists. <laughs> you know, where we do a, a little bit of a personality questionnaire and the other person does a little personality questionnaire. I was reading an article, I think it was Korea, where um when people are trying to find are, are courting and trying to find a partner, they both do the Myers Briggs. You know, it might not be a bad idea. The Myers-Briggs is a very um, accessible, easily interpretable personality test that's in in the general public. And, you know, it might be, you know, phone up a therapist and say, you know, I'm an INFP. What are you? (laughs) Do you know what you are by any chance? I'm an INFP. (laughs) Are you? I'm an ENTJ. I knew you were. (laughs) Of course, that also brings out something really interesting because in many ways, we're complementary compliments to each other. Um, uh, and and we get along really great. So it's not as though you have to have something someone exactly the same as you. Right, right. Now, I want to talk about a cautionary tale. And what I'm going to say that people need to be cautious of are one-trick ponies. Now, when I say this, we're talking about what is the best therapy match. And um, many therapists will say, well, I just do. I just do CBT or I just do EMDR or, you know, I'm a narrative therapist. And if you happen to be the right personality match for them, they have selected the type of therapy based on their personality match, right? So they've selected the one that they do the best. And that's working for them. And if you happen to slot into them really well on the basis of your own personality, then um, everything is harmonious and, and, and it's a good fit. But one of the problems with one fit ponies is that we don't always need the same thing at the same time. Right. And so the one trick pony therapists are the ones that will only give you the one thing that they can do. And the analogy to this is, if you want to get a kitchen renovation done, you don't want to get a contractor that's just really good with a sledgehammer. You know, and and he might say, oh, I know about saws and, and screwdrivers and drills and stuff, but I've decided that I'm just gonna focus my energies on being the very best sledgehammer contractor around. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, so people in the therapy field can often get to the point where they want to specialize and get better and better and better at what they do, what already do well. And 
um, that can lead you to being, when you go to them, you just get slotted into their protocol. Um, and, you know, that might not be exactly what you need for the whole therapy journey. Right. I want to tell you a story about Sally. Um, and Sally came to me when she was very, very emotionally distressed, very, very difficult functioning. She had been to a lot of mental health professionals before, um, had been heavily medicated. And when I took the history, um, it turned out that she had been through a life-changing trauma. And the interesting thing is, when I asked her about the other people that she'd seen, did they know about this? No, they never asked. And so I knew we probably had to go there because it was something that hadn't been, been worked on before. But she was in a really precarious emotional condition. And it was a life and death pre precariousness. And so I wrapped lots of respect and support and encouragement and uh, safety around her. Um, and we gradually got a bit more resilience in to her. And, but it took a long time. I think it was over a year. And then I had suggested to her that we do EMDR. Now, I have to say that in terms of my personality, I'm not a good EMDR person. I, it, it's not my personality. And yet I had done the appropriate levels of training um, in terms of how to use the technique. And I had done it enough that I knew what I was doing and what to watch for and all that sort of thing. And it worked like a charm. I was outside of my comfort zone a little bit, but I, was, I had then moved into what it was that was going to be the better fit for her. And um, she, Sally kept in touch with me for many, many years. She may still yet. Um, and she always said that the EMDR saved her life. And I am darn glad that I wasn't a one-trick pony. Yep. And so when you're when you're reading those bios of people that are uh, that you could possibly see, or when you're talking to um, the person that you happen to be assigned with, find out the range of things. Now you were talking about the tenured therapist, um, and I was talking about them. You have to really screw up, or you will never get fired from this agency. Sort of people, and find out if they've just stuck to what they've always done or if they have branched out. So over the course of my career, um, I not only spent a lot of time in psychiatrically oriented treatment programs, outpatient programs, um, I also got my credentials as a marriage and family therapist with the uh, AAMFT, um, which took an awful lot of training and a lot of, of supervision. I trained in EMDR, I trained in uh, clinical hypnotherapy. And so it meant that I wasn't a one trick pony. And each of those different things that I did gave me a different perspective, a different lens that I could look at. Mm -hmm. And so when you're looking for, if you, if you get someone that is really experienced, find out what their career has been like. Yeah. And because that is going to tell you something about them. Um, and, uh, so as you come in, once you find out a little bit, and, and I like what you said before about the, uh, conversation or the negotiation back and forth. Yep. Um, and if the therapist is willing to respond to you individually in terms of what it is that, um, you need what it is that they do, um, then uh, you're going to be more likely to be able to generate a good match rather than just expecting that or, or just having to do trial and error until you happen to find the person that is a good match. Right. I think that what's one, another thing that's key is that initial conversation 
will tell the person a lot of things. One, <clears throat> excuse me, one, it'll tell the person how they're going to be treated when they first call, right? right. So what's the service like? An indicator mm-hmm. anyway, um, as well as what's the conversation like uh, when talking with the provider. And then the other thing is to be mindful of how does that stay consistent then? How does that extend after that initial conversation? Because one of the things that I, I did have happen one time was um, everything, you know, was uh, the intake was great. The conversations with the providers were really well. And then once that um, agreement was uh, signed, then the behaviors changed. You know, I think, and we've gone a long time already today, and I think maybe another conversation we could have could be around how do we keep the therapy relationship healthy? I think I'd like to do one that's about how to keep the therapy relationship healthy. And then also a follow-up with how can providers be um, better service providers outside of, not outside of, but in addition to um, their practice. And I don't think that those things are taught in school. It's more of a business, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I would say linked to strategy and marketing. But when a person is calling and they're on the receiving end as a therapist or provider, and they're having an engagement with somebody, how do they then determine is this person a good fit for my practice? Am I hearing what this person is asking? Maybe that person needs assistance and helping them navigate, right? When you go and you buy clothes, a person might say, I really want a dress, right? I'm trying to look for something for a job interview. Okay. And then they're working with a stylist who's asking the appropriate questions to then help identify what that person's personality is like, what job they're applying for, what what fabrics they like, what colors they like, what fabrics they don't like. Like if somebody was to put me in something that's oversized and flowy, I'm only five feet two. It would, it would literally encompass me, you know, but at the same time, I've actually had people say, oh no, you should wear this designer. No, because her clothes are oversized and I look like I'm just, you know, walking fabric, you know, um, and I, you know, the snuffleupagus, I don't want to be a snuffleupagus, you know, anyway. And I say that because I think there's a value in also helping practitioners with learning those kinds of uh, inquiry skills, you know, the the interviewing skills tech, if you will, to develop those as well as on the awareness of helping themselves with bringing in new clients as well as the person who's calling. Because maybe they're not the fit, but maybe somebody that they know is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's a wonderful point. And Therapists tend to clump together a little bit, find out about each other. And so, you know, to even ask the therapist, and if we talk about how to keep it healthy, one of the things might be to be able to ask that question, is this still the right fit for me? Right. Or might there be someone else? I want to end with a story. We've gone for a long time and you've got to edit this thing down. But <laughs> we, um, I want to finish with a story that is another basic cautionary tale. Now, to set this up, about 10 years ago, I was working a lot with post-traumatic stress disorder, both military and uh, within family uh, trauma. And there was a, um, an organization that was doing all military uh, trauma Uh, that was putting on, and they were bringing in an innovative new researcher who had come up with this great therapy, and um, we were all going to get trained on it. Um, uh, I don't know whether the consumer will will realize this, but the way therapists learn is to uh, spend 200 bucks and sit in a hotel ballroom for two days taking notes. Um, (laughs) It doesn't make much sense, but anyway, that's the way we're supposed to do it. Um, So, this person came on and I think they were quite a good clinician and they were probably a good researcher too. Um, and they had developed a therapy that had a sequence of steps and it had really, it was a bit integrative in terms of including different things from different theoretical positions. And that was all really great. Um, but um, the person was, that was presenting who had developed it was obviously really in love with it, uh, which, which was good in a way too, but 
she came to a part of the presentation and she said, now, at this, this is a very critical point in the therapy when you get to this stage. And you have to use these exact words because these are the very, very precise words that get you through this particular place. And she said, and if you don't think you can remember the exact words, it's okay to have your treatment manual on your lap and read them to the client. Interesting. Okay. You know, now I, I do need to say that there were about 150 people in there, all who had graduate degrees in mental health. Probably, you know, I think we could maybe assume that the collective IQ in the room was a bit on the high side. Um, and we were told that we weren't to come up with our own words, but we were to re re use the exact words. About a year or two later, I got i was talking to a to a, a fellow who came in into my practice and and he had been to that agency and he said to me well i went once but the therapist just read to me out of a book it wasn't the right fit and as precise and as um technically sound theoretically sound as that intervention was, and I, I, I don't want to dismiss it. It was, you know, from everything that I could tell as a practitioner, um, the researcher had done really well in putting together a therapy, but it also, the advice of you have to do it this specific way, took away from the fact that therapy is really about a relationship with, with two people. Right. And if one of those two people is too rigid, it's not going to work. Right. Um, so, um, and I would imagine now he, the, the client I had said that the uh, therapist that he saw was really young and she seemed very sincere, but this particular thing just wasn't a fit for him, the way that she handled it. And it may be that the longer she had, in working with that particular therapy protocol, maybe she got more human at it. Maybe she got more relational at it. Um, yeah, I can see that. I can see that we're moving. I'm, I'm seeing pockets of where we're actually moving from the way that we're labeling things because our awarenesses are changing. Even with human resources, it's called people operations. I'm not even sure I like the word operations attached to people. For me, that doesn't resonate very well. Mm -hmm. um, but if you were to say, if you were to say one more snippet of a, you know, one last thing you want to let our listeners know, and uh, we're, I think we're, I think we're in 109 or 110 countries now. We've really grown as far as our outreach um, internationally, which is fantastic. I appreciate every, every listener, every, every new subscriber, every person that, you know, comments, the person who likes. So one last nugget of information, Terry, what do you think for folks that are saying, I really want to be able to think about one more thing while I'm interviewing for a therapist, what would you say to them? And I knew you were going to ask that. And I, I had done some notes here to have some final stories and stuff, and I've used them up. What I'm going to say is that as I was in this, this industry for so long, I've met some really amazing people. I met some people that are very um, deep in terms of their understanding, um, people who are incredibly open-hearted and warm and compassionate. Um, I also met some people who probably shouldn't have been in the field. So what I'm going to say is that your intuition on the very first meaningful connection with the individual um, is a really important thing for you to pay, pay attention to. The field of psychology pretends that it's objective. The actual practice of psychology is subjective. Yep. It's about the individual experience that people have when they're going on this healing journey. And 
so come away, and if you come away feeling overwhelmed or confused or not heard or um, that the person was such an expert that they really, you know, were far and away above you, <laughs> it's probably not going to be a good match. Right. If you go away feeling as though, gosh, that person really cared and really listened to me and really struggled to see things that I was going through and the distress that I was feeling. Um, a lot of my mental health colleagues would stop asking questions when they had enough symptoms to make their DSM diagnosis. How horrible. Yeah. They didn't stop asking questions when the client felt as though they had shared sufficiently for that person to know them. Right. Right. The so, symptoms versus the feeling, right? Yeah. So um, as people are trying to find a good therapy match, pay attention to not only the objective things, male or female, younger or older. Um, is this person practicing the types of therapies that I think would be the most effective for me? Yeah. But also think in terms of how did I feel as a human being when I was with that person? Yeah. Did I feel rushed that the person needed to get out of me and me out of there as soon as I could so they could go and sit in the lunchroom? Or did I feel as though that person was really connected? I this love that. Been, this has been a wonderful conversation. And I will so look forward to having another conversation with you about once you are connected, how to keep it working. We'll do that um, next. That'll we'll be that'll that. be a pleasure. I love this 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 question here. How did I feel as a human being and how did I feel connected? Yes. That's great. So thank you so much for such a fun conversation and for us to discover that we were kind of opposites on the Myers-Briggs, but how well we get along. Which exactly. Is, which is really quite fun. So I'll look forward to the next time. Awesome, Terry. Thanks so much for coming on today. Guys, this is Dr. Deb with PTSD and Beyond. Remember, Terry's information is going to be below. Hyperlinks to both of his books along with his website. And if you do connect with them, let him know that you heard him on PTSD and Beyond. Otherwise, we'll see each other again next week, eh? <laughs>